Homily two of Homilies on Ephesians by Saint John Chrysostom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily two, chapter one, verses eleven through fourteen. In whom also we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Paul earnestly endeavors on all occasions to display the unspeakable loving-kindness of God towards us, to the utmost of his power. For that it is impossible to do so adequately, hear his own words. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past tracing out! Still, notwithstanding, so far as it is possible, he does display it. What, then, is this which he is saying? In whom also we were made a heritage, being predestinated. Above he used the word, he chose us. Here he saith, we were made a heritage. But inasmuch as a lot is a matter of chance, not of deliberate choice, nor of virtue, for it is closely allied to ignorance and accident, and oftentimes passing over the virtuous, brings forward the worthless into notice. Observe how he corrects this very point. Having been foreordained, saith he, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things. That is to say, not merely have we been made a heritage, as, again, we have not merely been chosen, for it is God who chooses. And so neither have we merely been allotted, for it is God who allots. But it is according to a purpose. This is what he says also in the epistle to the Romans, to them that are called according to his purpose. And whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Having first used the expression, to them that are called according to a purpose, and at the same time wishing to declare their privilege compared with the rest of mankind, he speaks also of inheritance by lot, yet so as not to divest them of free will. That point, then, which more properly belongs to happy fortune, is the very point he insists upon. For this inheritance by lot depends not on virtue, but, as one may say, on fortuitous circumstances. It is though he had said, Lots were cast, and he hath chosen us. But the whole is of deliberate choice. Men predestinated, that is to say, having chosen them to himself, he hath separated. He saw us, as it were, chosen by lot before we were born. For marvelous is the foreknowledge of God, and acquainted with all things before their beginning. But mark now how on all occasions he takes pains to point out that it is not the result of any change of purpose, but that these matters had been thus modeled from the very first so that we are in no wise inferior to the Jews in this respect, and how, in consequence, he does everything with this view. 
how then is it that christ himself saith i was not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of israel and said again to his disciples go not into any way of the gentiles and enter not into any city of the samaritans and paul again himself says it was necessary that the word of god should first be spoken to you seeing ye thrust it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life lo we turn to the gentiles these expressions i say are used with this design that no one may suppose that this work came to pass incidentally only according to the purpose he says of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will that is to say he had no after-workings having modelled all things from the very first thus he leads forward all things according to the counsel of his will so that it was not merely because the jews did not listen that he called the gentiles nor was it of mere necessity nor was it on any inducement arising from them verses twelve and thirteen to the end that we should be unto the praise of his glory we who had before hoped in christ in whom ye also having heard the word of the truth the gospel of your salvation that is to say through whom observe how he on all occasions speaks of christ as the author of all things and in no case gives him the title of a subordinate agent or a minister and so again elsewhere in his epistle to the hebrews he says that god having of old time spoken unto the fathers in the prophets hath at the end of these days spoken unto us in his son that is through his son the word of truth he says no longer that of the type nor of the image the gospel of your salvation and well does he call it the gospel of salvation intimating in one word a contrast to the law in the other a contrast with punishment to come for what is the message but the gospel of salvation which forbears to destroy those that are worthy of destruction verse fourteen in whom having also believed ye were sealed with the holy spirit of promise which is an earnest of our inheritance here again the word sealed is an indication of a special forecast he does not speak of our being predestinated only nor of our being allotted but further of our being sealed for just as one were to make those who should fall to his lot manifest so also did god separate them for believing and sealed them for the allotment of the things to come you see how in process of time he makes them objects of wonder so long as they were in his foreknowledge they were manifest to no one but when they were sealed they became manifest though not in the same way as we are for they will be manifest except a few the israelites also were sealed but that was by circumcision like the brutes and reasonless creatures 
we too are sealed but it is as sons with the spirit but what is meant by with the spirit of promise doubtless it means that we have received that spirit according to promise for there are two promises the one by the prophets the other from the son by the prophets hearken to the words of joel i will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions and hearken again to the words of christ but ye shall receive power when the holy ghost is come upon you and ye shall be my witnesses both in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth and truly the apostle means he ought as god to have been believed however he does not ground his affirmation upon this but examines it like a case where man is concerned speaking much as he does in the epistle to the hebrews where he says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for god to lie we may have a strong encouragement thus here also he makes the things already bestowed a sure token of the promise of those which are yet to come for this reason he further calls it an earnest for an earnest is a part of the whole he hath purchased what we are most concerned in our salvation and hath given us an earnest in the meanwhile why then did he not give the whole at once because neither have we on our part done the whole of our work we have believed this is a beginning and he too on his part hath given in earnest when we show our faith by our works then he will add the rest nay more he hath given yet another pledge his own blood and hath promised another still in the same way as in the case of war between nation and nation they give hostages just so hath god also given his son as a pledge of peace and solemn treaties and further the holy spirit also which is from him for they that are indeed partakers of the spirit know that he is the earnest of our inheritance such an one was paul who already had here a foretaste of the blessings there and this is why he was so eager and yearned to be released from things below and groaned within himself he transferred his whole mind thither and saw everything with different eyes thou hast no part in the reality and therefore failest to understand the description were we all partakers of the spirit as we ought to be partakers then should we behold heaven and the order of things that is there it is an earnest however of what of verse fourteen the redemption of god's own possession for our absolute redemption takes place then for now we have our life in the world we are liable to many human accidents and are living amongst ungodly men but our absolute redemption will be then 
when there shall be no sins no human sufferings when we shall not be indiscriminately mixed with all kinds of people at present however there is but an earnest because at present we are far distant from these blessings yet is our citizenship not upon earth even now we are out of the pale of the things that are here below yes we are sojourners even now verse fourteen unto the praise of his glory this he adds in immediate connection and why because it would serve to give those who heard it full assurance were it for our sake only he means to say that god did this there might be some room for misgiving but if it be for his own sake and in order to display his goodness he assigns as a sort of witness a reason why these things never possibly could be otherwise we find the same language everywhere applied to the case of the israelites do thou this for us for thy name's sake and again god himself says i do it for mine own sake and so moses do it if for nothing else yet for the glory of thy name this gives those who hear it full assurance it relieves them to be told that whatever he promises for his own goodness sake he will most surely perform moral let not the hearing however make us too much at our ease for although he doth it for his own sake yet notwithstanding he requires a duty on our part if he says them that honour me i will honour and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed let us reflect that there is that which he requires of us also true it is the praise of his glory to save those that are enemies but those who after being made friends continue his friends so that if they were to return back to their former state of enmity all were vain and to no purpose there is not another baptism nor is there a second reconciliation again but a certain fearful expectation of judgment which shall devour the adversaries if we intend at the same time to be always at enmity with him and yet to claim forgiveness at his hand we shall never cease to be at enmity and to be wanton to grow in depravity and to be blind to the sun of righteousness which has risen dost thou not see the ray that shall open thine eyes render them then good and sound and quick-sighted he hath showed thee the true light if thou shunnest it and runnest back again into the darkness what shall be thy excuse what sort of allowance shall be made for thee none from that moment for this is a mark of unspeakable enmity when indeed thou knewest not god then if thou wert at enmity with him thou hadst be it how it might some excuse but when thou hast tasted the goodness and the honey if thou again abandonest them and turnest to thine own vomit what else art thou doing but bringing forward evidence of excessive hatred and contempt 
Nay, thou wilt say, but I am constrained to it by nature. I love Christ indeed, but I am constrained by nature. If thou art under the power and force of constraint, thou wilt have allowance made. But if thou yield from indolence, not for a moment. Now then, come, let us examine this very question, whether sins are the effect of force and constraint, or of indolence and great carelessness. The law says, Thou shalt not kill. What sort of force, what sort of violence is there here? Violence indeed must one use to force himself to kill. For who amongst us would as a matter of choice plunge his sword into the throat of his neighbor, and stain his hand with blood? Not one. Thou seest then that, on the contrary, sin is more properly matter of violence and constraint. For God hath implanted in our nature a charm which binds us to love one another. Every beast, it saith, loveth his like, and every man loveth his neighbor. Seest thou that we have from our nature seeds which tend to virtue, whereas those of vice are contrary to nature? And if these latter predominate, this is but an evidence of our exceeding indolence. Again, what is adultery? What sort of necessity is there to bring us to this? Doubtless it will be said, the tyranny of lust. But why, tell me, should this be? What, is it not in every one's power to have his own wife, and thus to put a stop to this tyranny? True, he will say but a sort of passion for my neighbor's wife seizes hold on me. Here the question is no longer one of necessity. Passion is no matter of necessity. No one loves of necessity, but of deliberate choice and free will. Indulgence of nature, indeed, is perhaps matter of necessity, but to love one woman rather than another is no matter of necessity. Nor is the point with you natural desire, but vanity, and wantonness, and unbounded licentiousness. For which is according to reason, that a man should have an espoused wife, and her the mother of his children, or one not acknowledged? Know ye not that it is intimacy that breathes attachment? This, therefore, is not the fault of nature. Blame not natural desire. Natural desire was bestowed with a view to marriage. It was given with a view to the procreation of children, not with a view to adultery and corruption. The laws, too, know how to make allowance for those sins which are of necessity. Or, rather, nothing is sin when it arises from necessity, but all sin rises from wantonness. God hath not so framed man's nature as that he should have any necessity to sin, since were this the case, there would be no such thing as punishment. We ourselves exact no account of things done of necessity and by constraint, much less would God, so full of mercy and loving kindness. Again, what is stealing? Is it a matter of necessity? Yes, a man will say, because poverty causes this. Poverty, however, rather compels us to work, 
not to steal poverty therefore has in fact the contrary effect theft is the effect of idleness whereas poverty produces usually not idleness but a love of labor so that this sin is the effect of indolence as you may learn from hence which i ask is the more difficult the more distasteful to wander about at night without sleep to break open houses and walk about in the dark and to have one's life in one's hand and to be always prepared for murder and to be shivering and dead with fear or to be attending to one's daily task in full enjoyment of safety and security this last is the easier task and it is because this is easier that the majority practice it rather than the other thou seest then that it is virtue which is according to nature and vice which is against nature in the same way as disease and health are what again are falsehood and perjury what necessity can they possibly imply none whatever nor any compulsion it is a matter to which we proceed voluntarily we are distrusted it will be said true distrusted we are because we choose it for we might if we would be trusted more upon our character than upon our oath why tell me is it that we do not trust some no not on their oath whilst we deem others trustworthy even independently of oaths seest thou that there is no need of oaths in any case when such an one speaks we say i believe him even without any oath but thee no not with thy oaths thus then an oath is unnecessary and is in fact an evidence rather of distrust than of confidence for where a man is over ready to take his oath he does not leave us to entertain any great idea of his scrupulousness so that the one who is most constant in his use of oaths has on no occasion any necessity for using one and he who never uses one on any occasion has in himself the full benefit of its use some one says there is a necessity for an oath to produce confidence but we see that they are the more readily trusted who abstain from taking oaths but again if one is a man of violence is this a matter of necessity yes he will say because his passion carries him away and burns within him and does not let the soul be at rest man to act with violence is not the effect of anger but of littleness of mind were it the effect of anger all men whenever they were angry would never cease committing acts of violence we have anger given us not that we may commit acts of violence on our neighbours but that we may correct those that are in sin that we may bestir ourselves that we may not be sluggish anger is implanted in us as a sort of sting to make us gnash with our teeth against the devil to make us vehement against him not to set us in array against each other we have arms not to make us at war amongst ourselves 
but that we may employ our whole armour against the enemy art thou prone to anger be so against thine own sins chastise thy soul scourge thy conscience be a severe judge and merciless in thy sentence against thine own sins this is the way to turn anger to account it was for this that god implanted it within us but again is plunder a matter of necessity no in no wise tell me what manner of necessity is there to be grasping what manner of compulsion poverty a man will say causes it and the fear of being without common necessaries now this is the very reason why you ought not to be grasping wealth so gotten has no security in it you are doing the very same thing as a man would do who if he were asked why he laid the foundation of his house in the sand should say he did it because of the frost and rain whereas this would be the very reason why he should not lay it in the sand they are the very foundations which the rain and blast and wind most quickly overturn so that if thou wouldest be wealthy never be rapacious if thou wouldest transmit wealth to thy children get righteous wealth at least if any there be that is such because this abides and remains firm whereas that which is not such quickly wastes and perishes tell me hast thou a mind to be rich and dost thou take the goods of others surely this is not wealth wealth consists in possessing what is thine own he that is in possession of the goods of others never can be a wealthy man since at that rate even your very silk vendors who receive their goods as a consignment from others would be the wealthiest and the richest of men though for the time indeed it is theirs still we do not call them wealthy and why forsooth because they are in possession of what belongs to others for though the peace itself happens to be theirs still the money it is worth is not theirs nay and even if the money is in their hands still this is not wealth now if consignments thus given render not men more wealthy because we so soon resign them how can those which arise from rapine render them wealthy however if at any rate thou desirest to be wealthy for the matter is not one of necessity what greater good is it that thou wouldst fain enjoy is it a longer life yet surely men of this character quickly become short-lived oftentimes they pay as the penalty of plunder and rapaciousness an untimely death and not only suffer as a penalty the loss of the enjoyment of their gains but go out of life having gained but little and hell to boot oftentimes too they die of diseases which are the fruits of self-indulgence and of toil and of anxiety fain would i understand why it is that wealth is so eagerly pursued by mankind why surely for this reason hath god set a limit and a boundary to our nature 
that we may have no need to go on seeking wealth beyond it for instance he hath commanded us to clothe the body in one or perhaps in two garments and there is no need of any more to cover us where is the good of ten thousand changes of raiment and those moth-eaten the stomach has its appointed bound and anything given beyond this will of necessity destroy the whole man where then is the use of your herds and flocks and cutting up of flesh we require but one roof to shelter us where then is the use of your vast ground plots and costly buildings dost thou strip the poor that vultures and jackdaws may have where to dwell and what a hell do not these things deserve many are frequently raising edifices that glisten with pillars and costly marbles in places which they never so much as saw what scheme is there indeed that they have not adopted yet neither themselves reap the benefit nor any one else the desolateness does not allow them to get away thither and yet not even thus do they desist you see that these things are not done for profit's sake but in all these cases folly and absurdity and vainglory is the motive and this i beseech you to avoid that we may be enabled to avoid also every other evil and may obtain those good things which are promised to them that love him in our lord jesus christ with whom to the father together with the holy ghost be glory strength honour for ever amen End of homily two